listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 200, Perpendicular Part 1. And coming to you from the snow-covered suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John the Splatopus Matola. <laughs> the Splatopus. I don't know if I like the sound of that. Well, let me let me regale yep. you with a tale, please. Oh, wait a minute. Is it split? Is it split? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you're Googling it to see if you're right. What is this? <laughs> no, because I thought, wait a minute. Is this a splat of No. So I don't know. These stupid things come up when I'm searching for things in Amazon, big surprise, right? Yep. So one of them is a knife called the splatopus and it's this little plastic <laughs> knife that's, you know, shaped like a platypus, like a platypus, but it's a spatula. So splatopus. Oh, and the thing is, it's like, it's got the little, you know, the body or the, the handle is shaped like the body. And then the nose is shaped like the bill. But the thing of it is, is that it's like a silicon thing. And it's um, claim to fame is, is that you can, that the bendability of it, it's like uh, versatile enough to go around the edges of the jar to get those last bits of like peanut butter or like whatever is in the jar out because you can't with like a rigid knife. This is a big problem that we need to solve. I guess. So anyways, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at that and I'm, of course I'm just like, yeah, I like, um, I like a little extra peanut butter after the jar is empty, you know, because, you know, you do a little thing with like, but, um, did you actually riveting. order this thing? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> It's it's riveting discussion for our two hundredth episode, but anyways. Um, <laughs> but what caught my what caught my attention about this is is like you remember when you when we were talking about Amazon reviews and you were just like talking about a mug and and, and you're just like could you use this for lemonade? Yeah, yeah, like the like the stupid questions that they put in yeah. there. Was this mug so work this with one, milk? <laughs> so this so this one reminded me of you. Because and I wanted to send it to you, but I wanted to save it for the show. So the question is, can you use it for butter? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a knife that does not work on butter. But but I like the answer. So the answer is, I apologize for my slow response. I've been out of town. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it that one guy's? Anybody can answer shit. those. It's not like that one guy's. Uh, <laughs> it's like he. It's, it's like they sent him a personalized email and he's responding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is his. So this is how it starts, um, and then of course gives the obvious. If the butter is soft slash room temperature, then yes, it will work. <laughs> I mean, you could cut anything with room temperature butter. You could use your finger to cut room temperature butter. <laughs> sorry for the slow response. I've been out of town. I've been it's out like, of town. Ooh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just ooh, getting caught okay. up on answering every Amazon <laughs> question <laughs> like, for every yeah, product I, don't, I own. He's, he's the Amazon answer guy, so it's like... Um, oh, yeah, maybe they've, they've let it away. It's not even a verified purchaser. It's just like I'm the guy who answers everyone's questions. But yeah, so the, the splatopus looks like a good... Uh, Good little invention there, but I I don't think I'll be purchasing it. I'll just keep using my knife or my my finger or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with a name like that, though, you you almost have to you almost have to make the purchase. But 
Um, yeah, it's been snowing all like every single day, all week. Mm-hmm. But like, just like nothing's really accumulating to be that much, thankfully. But um, oh, woke up, good. woke up to another dusting this morning, and I'm like, nah, screw it. It's gonna be really cold today, so. It'll probably turn into ice, but I don't have the energy to scrape off. I could actually just sometimes I just get the broom out and yeah. I just I sweep the the driveway because <laughs> the snow here is not like out east where it's like really heavy and wet. Yeah. Here it's like super powdery and and dry, so usually mm-hmm. you can just sweep it up. Well, yeah, that's the that's actually the type of snow we've been getting here lately. So that's really? the best type of snow. It's like, ooh, it's pretty, and then it doesn't accumulate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's constantly this 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 nice, beautiful, idyllic snow scene, but mm. it never amounts to anything. Where typically it's um, oh, it's beautiful, and now I have six weeks of six weeks of garbage slush <laughs> to wade through. Ugh. Yep, absolutely disgusting. But hey, everybody, um, you know the the snow might not be accumulating and adding up to much, but your support is, and we appreciate it. We want to remind you that the Deep Purple Podcast is 100% listener-supported and ad-free, so if you receive value from our show, consider giving us some value back in one of a number of ways. One of the ways you can support our show is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy merch at our Etsy store. Then you become a patron on Patreon or PayPal or a number of other ways for as little as $1 a month. Help support the show. All the money goes back into the show, buying equipment, buying albums to review, all that sort of stuff. And you can support us also on Cash App, dollar sign DPPOD, and on Kofi, our newest uh, little platform there. Uh, nobody has donated yet on Kofi, so if you want to be the first, hey, make it happen. Um, it is episode 200. Uh, we didn't really have um, anything crazy planned for this episode other than the obvious album that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, we didn't solicit any sort of user stuff, user um, voicemails or anything like we've done in the past. Uh, but we want to thank uh, you know a few people. We want to thank Brendan Ashbrook, who designed our awesome logo. Um, uns- un- even unsolicited, he just sent it over. He's like, hey, I made – because our logo sucked. And he's like, hey, I made you – he didn't say that, but he's like, hey, I made you a new logo. And I'm like, oh, my God, this no, is you awesome. You said that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, thanks, thanks so much because I like – you know, when we started the podcast, I just threw up a logo super fast. And I was like, well, whatever, and I'm on to the next thing. And then he made a really nice logo. And I said, oh, cool. That's really – I appreciate that. But um, uh, big appreciation to him on our 200th episode and then also our executive-level patrons coming in at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 10-pound tier, Dr. Jill Brees. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and Mikkel Steen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans. Thank you to so much for all of you for your support on our 200th episode and for many, uh, for most of you, many years uh, of support. We really, really appreciate that. Um, so this album is, is, is coming up on us, so we'll get we'll get to that. In a little bit, um, we did get uh, a few things sent in, though, that I want to play. Uh, first off, we've got let me go to my sharing options here. Um, but we did get a message from um, our Hall of Famer Norman Weichelbaum, um, who has just been an, an amazing support for the show since day one, and. Um, Sent us, you know, his his great record collection and all that, as you've heard. Um, but here we go. Uh, this is a little message that Norman made for us. So if I can find it here, here it is. All right, so check this out. He's a song for you. If you're along with 
Really great shows. Looking for more. I really love it. <laughs> Thank you, Norman. That's awesome. That was awesome. Um, and he, and I, I I noticed my name was first. Well, I mean, obviously. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, usually your name is first, but it seemed to flow better in the song. Well, yeah. You also had to call me Nathan because <laughs> it wouldn't have worked with John and Nate. <laughs> He had, to, he had to make it scan with ocean, so. Um, That's true. <laughs> but, you know, the great. Uh, That's awesome. Love it. Love the purple winds will fill your sails. <laughs> that should be our new theme song. Um, but really great stuff. Really appreciate that. That's that's awesome. Um, but uh, not to uh, not to change it up too much, but um, he wasn't the only one who sent a message. Let's see uh, this one from uh, I haven't I haven't looked at this one yet, so we'll have to see who who sent us this uh, this next message. This is a video one, so let's check it out. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Lynn Turner, and you're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast with Nate and John. Happy 200th anniversary, guys! Keep on rocking. <laughs> All right. Hell yeah, JLT. JLT, baby, coming in for episode 200. He has no idea how many episodes he's been in with his advertisements. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) Thanks for the unsolicited. (laughs) Thanks, JLT. Thanks, JLT, for who was in in no means coaxed into doing that financially. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. There was this funny, so that that was a cameo, and uh, we had talked about getting it getting it done and uh sent it in and then I didn't hear anything back for a while and then and then cameo was like hey did you how did your cameo go and I was like I think he might not want to do it because it's deep purple and then um well I didn't actually say I didn't say anything and then all of a sudden I just it, it came in so uh, it was pretty uh pretty cool to get that but the funniest thing is I, sh- I wish I had a video of it. I could probably send you a video of it, but they show these film yourself doing a, a reaction to it. And there's this woman, like somebody's holding, she's holding her laptop and she's like convulsing. She's like, ah, ah, oh. and then she like, she's spinning around that. She puts it on the floor and she's kneeling down and she's, and she's like, like freaking out about the fact that she's, who, they don't show you who it is, but whoever's giving her this cameo. So I thought it would be great to get you <laughs> doing that same kind of reaction, holding up your laptop and just spin. Ah, Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, um, so that was, um, yeah, that was that was a really um, that was a really cool a cool thing. I don't know um, how long. Like, have you like when you look at the cameos? Do you like? I know that there are some people that do them um, that. They do like uh, like a certain. They have like an average length. Like some of them do oh. like really long ones, yeah. and they do short ones. Do you know if his are typically short or shorter? Um, it's a good question. I didn't check it out, but yeah. Um, the- well, it's too bad you didn't request something in there about like you know, hey, this is Joe Lynn Turner. Does anybody out there like to have sex? <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to push it too far. <laughs> hey, I'm just, hey, all you Deep Purple podcast listeners, I'm wondering, does anybody out there like having sex? You know what? You should, since you already got one from him, just request another one sometime in the future. And this way, if he rejects it, you're like, man, we already got yeah, it. Yeah, we'll roll, we'll roll the dice. We already got the bumper. We got everything. We're good. <laughs> but I was on, I think I was on Cameo one day and I was, I was, um, I was like, I wonder if there are any deep purple related mm. 
uh, celebrities on here and JLT popped up and I was like, this, this is like, yeah. it couldn't be more perfect than if it were like uh, Coverdale or Gillen or, you know, anybody, you know what I mean? I had looked so, a while back and there was nothing. Like I searched every name and there was nothing yeah. on there. And then, yeah, when you told me JLT was now on, I said, Ooh, <laughs> this, this could be yeah, good. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I was kind of like searching uh, mu- musicians, uh, celebrities, whatever, just randomly. I wasn't typing in Deep Purple and he came up and I was just like my jaw dropped. And I was <laughs> I went I went. <laughs> I think a lot of artists <laughs> realize this is a great way to make a, you know, a few bucks. I mean, you, you, you know, yeah. even somebody whatever level you're at, there's going to be some amount like even if you're banging out. He probably sits at his desk once a week, bangs yeah. out 20 of these. And it's like, okay, I just made a thousand dollars sitting at my desk yeah, for right? for an hour, knocking these out. Not even an hour, but well, not- his was good too because anybody that watched the video, it looked like he he dressed up. He took some time to do it because some of these guys you see them and they're just like <laughs> they're, they're holding pajamas. the phone. Yeah, they're you in can, their pajamas. You can hear a pan they're- in the background sizzling. They're like cooking dinner. <laughs> they're walking around their kitchen. They have like that low angle that like your mom uses when she's facetiming you. It's like you can only see them from the nose up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man that's awesome that's great uh happy uh, happy 200th anniversary happy 200th anniversary to us doesn't feel like 200 it only feels like 190 episodes doesn't feel like 200 um, yeah i know we're we're just we're, we're that we're that young and spry <laughs> Uh, before we get into the episode today, because this has been a, a long sought after episode, I want to th- send another shout out to Merlin, who sent us um, this. Oh, he sent he sent a scan of this, and it was so cool that I immediately went onto eBay and bought my own copy, like literally within minutes of him sending sending it to us. And this is the Perpendicular um, Yearbook. Wow! And it's it's this very very awesome detailed like day through day of like great pictures of the sessions and like what they were doing that day and all sorts of stuff so super cool and i was able to use a lot of that and i'll be quoting from it in the next couple of episodes um notes about how the songs are written when they were written um uh really great little notes what was happening in the studio and with the band so really um Throw that over there now. Uh, really cool. Uh, I was, it was something I wasn't even aware of, and I think it was just they must have had it during the um, when they were on tour. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is basically covering the year 1995 because this album will actually we just had the anniversary as of recording this. Um, uh, or no, the, I'm sorry, the anniversary is coming up as of recording this. But when this comes out, it'll just happen. We'll have the actual release date in February of 1996. So the album was all basically written and recorded all in 1995. So that's the year that we're mostly going to be covering here. A year you and I remember well and was a big, uh, big deep purple year for us as we were um, getting more and more into the band. Uh, yeah, but Merlin sent that them, yeah. sent that over. Merlin also has a um, uh, a, a Dutch Deep Purple cover band called Shades of Deep Purple. It's shadesofdeeppurple.nl if you want to check it out. And then he sent links to three podcasts he actually has done about Deep Purple in Dutch. So I can't confirm or deny um, any of the information in the in the episodes or <laughs> or the content as my Dutch is a little uh, non-existent. But really cool. It sound, sound, sounds really cool. Sounds like Dutch. <laughs> As a, or as Austin Powers would say, <laughs> freaky deaky Dutch. Um, but uh, yeah, so check it out. So if you are looking for a Dutch language uh, 
some Dutch language podcasts. It's called 130 DB History, Deep Purple. It's three episodes. So um, I'll put links to those in the show notes. You can check them out. Um, before we get into it, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com. It's newly revamped. It's got a, basically we'll always have uh, a feed of the most recent episodes from the network. We've been hard at work getting that part of the site function functional. We've been talking about it for a long time. So everything uh, consolidated into one space. If you're into the network and looking at more of those shows, it'll give you some great recommendations. Everything from uh, Sabbath Bloody Podcast to Rock Roulette, which is our most recent show on the network, and everything in between. So there you have it. Um, all right. So perpendicular, John, what is your memory, history, thoughts, or well, thoughts before we get too into it on this album? Mm. So, um, and you know what? I'm just going to address right now. I have a bit of a sore throat, which is why I sound like sexy Matola today. <laughs> He's not feeling but, um, sexy. He's sounding sexy. No, <clears throat> no, it's, it's one of those where you, I don't know, maybe I don't, but either way, throaty, I sound throaty, throaty today. Matola. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I Matola. can, <laughs> so I can hear it. Is but, it a, um, is it a loose cough? Cause I don't want you to cough and get a splatopus on the uh, screen there. No, I don't know. It sounds, it's, it's, it's very raw. So it's, yeah. thank goodness for the cough switch today. Yes. But, um, but anyways, yeah. Um, just because like a lot of talking, I think is going to be a thing, but Hey, you know what? We power through because this is our 200th anniversary. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not going to take a, take a week off and we can't afford to anyway. <laughs> we don't have any shows <laughs> yeah. It's like, exactly. John, I'm sorry. Are you, are you able to remain conscious? Then you need to record. Yes. Yeah. Nate's a harsh taskmaster. Any, anyway. <laughs> no, I didn't even um, know you were feeling bad until you, until I saw you on the screen and you were like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know either until I woke up and it I'm was, like, oh, it was shit. the worst sounding hey I've ever heard. I woke up feeling like that too. I think it's just the weather has been kind of yeah. off here. So. Well, that time of year. But um, anyways, uh, my history with the album is um, that obviously we were already deep purple fans when this came out, because I was a, a newer fan when uh, Battle Rages On came out. So this was the next new album or current album that came out from Deep Purple. So, of course, I wanted to get it. Um, and you know what? I can't I can't remember if I knew if Richie was on it, if they had another guitar player like I, I don't I I don't even remember. I just remember picking it up. And obviously I knew that. um Steve Morse was on it, um, but the rest of Mark II was. No idea who Steve Morse was. Mm -hmm. Put it on. Loved, like, uh, maybe a couple of the tracks, and then I was like, eh, this doesn't sound like what I expect Deep Purple to sound like, and then just kind of discarded the album for the for the rest of time. <laughs> for the rest of time. <laughs> because, I was, because I was an idiot. Um, but, um, well, not for the rest of time. You did come back to it, but. I did. I did. But I mean, that was my, um, that was my thought process back then as we've, as we, we all know, as we all know, is as if, it, if it wasn't what I expected or it wasn't what I wanted, mm -hmm. then you, you, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, it's not, it's not Machine Head, the sequel. Then it's yeah. like, you know, but anyways, <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, there was really no way. I mean, I guess if you were more, if I was more open-minded, um, 
like a lot of people were, they went to shows, they picked up publications. They, you know, I could have found out like who Steve Morse was, maybe picked up some of his albums. But another factor in that too, as we've talked about is we didn't have unlimited resources. It's not like we could just mm-hmm. go to a paid streaming service and be like, oh, let me listen to Dixie Dregs and every other thing he's been in to see what he's all about. It's just like, this is this is all we had. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it should have been enough anyways, because as we'll talk about the, you know, it's phenomenal. But um, one thing that I do remember about this was, um, I don't know if like we had the, I, I think it was the cassette fold out or the, you, you had the CD or whatever, but they had the pictures of them on the back. And you know what? Yeah. I'm going to remember this for when you do the album art because that's okay. more of a story for the album. Uh, art. I don't, I remember, I don't you, even know what you're getting at. So I can't wait. Okay. I remember this because it was, it was funny, but I'll, I'll save it for the album art. But that was my, my first impressions. Um, so not an album that I was super familiar with until maybe about last year when we went to see Deep Purple and they played um, a couple of a couple of songs off of the Morse era albums and so and so uh, I don't know I don't think they did anything off this but I think I kind of went back and started to listen to some of the Morse era albums because I'm like okay this stuff is you know I don't want to wait for the episodes right right so. I got this with you at Sam's, right? That's the place. Is that the yeah. place we, we always, I always forget the name of it. Yeah. Uh, we've talked it about Sam, Sam's and Rock City. Yeah. So right Sam's was the place we went to and it wasn't an import, but I want to say, so this is my CD copy that I got. And this would have probably been like the summer wow. of 96. We would have been mm-hmm. hanging out and it came out later here. I want to say it came out in April in the mm-hmm. U.S., so it was pretty new. I probably got it in like June or July or something, and it was one of those things. You just, I just saw it and I was like, "Wait!" I saw it in the Deep Purple section. I didn't even know it was out. I didn't know what was going on. Just like you said, wasn't really familiar what was going on with the band. Um, well, I think I might have because I seem to remember not being surprised. I must have known already that Richie was out, and that maybe this there would have a new album out someday. And I knew they had a new guitarist in. And I knew I knew Steve Morris. Like I didn't know any of his history or his music or anything, but I knew the mm-hmm. name because it was one of those like guitar player names. And I think I incorrectly thought he was like a like a standard uh, um, cookie cutter shredder. issue shredder, which yeah. he's just not, <clears throat> as we know. Um, so yeah, so this is my copy, and uh, uh, yeah, I remember putting it on, and I mean, we'll get into it in a, in a little bit as we get to the music. But when the when this started up, I was just like. When you talk about it's not being not being what you expect from Deep Purple, the, the, just the opening of this album is like, holy shit, this is this is <laughs> yeah. different. Um, yeah. And then you know, if if you just listen to that very very beginning, you you'd think, I don't know what you would think, but um, as the album progresses, obviously, I think you, you hear a lot more of the hallmarks of Deep Purple that you'd be expecting. But from that opening, it was just very different. And I I would say in a good way for me, I was not. It was, but we were still kind of new-ish to getting into Deep Purple, so I think I was just more into the stuff that was already out and kind of getting a little deeper into that. So I, it was, so from my, our perspective, I wasn't someone, and obviously we weren't somebody who was listening from to Deep Purple from day one because we weren't born yet, um, but if we had been, I could understand how you'd maybe jump into this a little bit with both feet a little bit more because you'd had yeah. 25 years of history or uh, or or more rather uh, with the band and you could say okay well I can put that stuff aside and jump into this but when you've only been listening right. to you know when I had only discovered Mark 
three and four, you know, a couple years earlier, I think I was still just so into that stuff and branching out into different directions that I didn't necessarily go too much further. And this is really the last album I got. Well, prior to, I say whoosh or uh, prior to infinite, I guess, um, that I got when it really first came out. And when I started getting back into getting into more of the Steve Moore stuff. So, um, this will be the last album that I was really familiar with at the, you know, at a contemporary level when, to when it came out, uh, versus some of the other stuff. So that's kind of my background with the album. Um, so put that aside there. And I did get just get recently get that vinyl copy behind me. That's like, got it for a really good price on Discogs and it was like in absolutely mint condition. So I don't even want to open it up. Um, Beautiful. Make some nice eye candy for the, for the show though. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, basically, I, th- I think it, most people listening are pretty familiar with this. They, you know, we, we've just covered Satriani and we did a whole two episode on, on a live show with Satriani and kind of the history behind that. Satriani, um, they offer him the full time gig. He doesn't take it. Um, so they hook up with Steve Morse. Um, they they they. They get together with him and they they put in this and Steve, Steve and the band both seem to have the same. So he, they were kind of giving him a test run and he was kind of giving them a test run. And they do these three secret gigs in Mexico, um, Texas, and they weren't announced. They just kind of show up and Deep Purple's playing and it's like, what's going on? Um, so they um, they kind of auditioned each other and after the three gigs decide Okay, well, that's going. This is this is this works. So they sure. dis, they set up at, at Greg Reich Studios again in Florida. Um, the band was comfortable there. They had recorded Slaves and Masters there, and it was really close to where Steve Morse was living. And he's still doing the things with the Steve Morse band and Dixie Dregs. So um, it worked really conveniently for him. So um, starting in January, they got together in the studio and started recording. Um, so. Um, and the, the, this yearbook's great because it has lots of little things. So the first day, it, there's diary entries from Roger Glover, from John Lord, and quotes from all of them about the recording process. So j- from John Lord's diary on January 16th, 1995, the first day, he said, We worked on a number which appears at the moment to be called Vavoom. Then we all had dinner together in a fairly awful Mexican restaurant which had fairly good margaritas. Dinner together, the whole band, yes indeed. So you can tell from the... From the from the tone of what John Lord's saying, a couple of things. One is that the whole band, like he's shot the whole band. We all had dinner together as like well, this is crazy because that just wouldn't have happened with, with Richie and the band. They would have fractured off or fractured off into their different uh, contingents, and they all got they all got together and had a good time. Right, right, yeah. Richie would have uh, you know gone into his his hobble exactly. by himself. He, no, no margaritas. He would have like had like some mead or something. <laughs> or make or made uh what's that uh he would have made some flip or some grog <laughs> or some pirate and go, drink and go, and got off alone into the woods <laughs> <laughs> but um interestingly though the the song it says in the yearbook this song vavoom that they worked on is nothing to do with Vavoom, Ted the Mechanic. It, it, so, so something about the oh. word Vavoom kicking around during these sessions that they liked and they wanted to keep. So so it was, even though it's the first album, our first song in the album is not the first song that they wrote or recorded. 
So, lineup for this album, you guessed it, Roger Glover on bass, Ian Pace on drums, Steve Morse on guitar, who we talked about ad infinitum in our last episode, John Lord, and Ian Gillen on vocals. So, no surprises there. Even if you're new to Deep Purple and new to the show, you should probably uh, know all that stuff. Um, so, on a technical level, they've got Adam Barber on engineering. He had an interesting, you know, it's, it shows you that they're in Florida because his his credits on Discogs include InSync, Backstreet Boys, and O-Town. So shows you uh, where they're recording, right. you know. And also, you know, wow. the, the there's not the only connections uh, with Deep Purple from those boy bands, but um, we'll get like, into We want that boy band sound. Yeah, this, this lot, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of, we got to, we have to boy bandicize one of these songs or something. I'm trying to think of. Which which song? That's afterwards. We'll have to decide which song would make the best boy band song. <laughs> I just imagine all three of them. All, all, I'm sorry, all five of them on stage with no instruments, just doing a dance <laughs> in like silver <laughs> silver uh, suits or something with sunglasses on. <laughs> Gillen's oh doing. They're all doing Gillen's kooky uncle dance. <laughs> um. So it's mixed by uh, Roger Glover and Joe Smith. Um. Uh, engineered by Darren Schneider. Uh, he had worked with uh, Battle Rages on, and then he goes to work, continue working with Steve Morris on Living Loud. Um, Keith Andrews worked with a bunch of uh, groups in the 80s and 90s, including Ian Gillen on his Naked Thunder album. And then Charlie Lewis on production. He had worked with uh, Rainbow, Roger Glover on Mask, and then UFO and Dream Theater. So. That's a little bit of the background there. And then we've got uh, the artwork that we get to. And this is the album cover. John, what did you think or what do you think about this album cover? When I first saw this, I, I was just like, OK, this is like it looked like super, super modern, deep mm -hmm. purple, super slick, which take a guess. I wasn't all, I was not about it. <laughs> I'm just like, doesn't look like a classic cover yeah. next, you know, but, um, but it's, um, I think it's, I think it's pretty cool because I mean, you, you think about the, the contrast of colors on here is very striking. Um, I think it was a good idea that they went with, uh, purple for the background, mm -hmm. uh, because you know, why not the deep purple, um, but I always, um, I never thought too much about it, except I thought that that top part that was going, uh, horizontal kind of looked like, uh, like a match. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a snapped match, like, like snap and make it perpendicular. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, it also, if you want to get a little cheeky, it looks like a line of, uh, you know, oh, nose whiskey. I never thought about that. As uh, our friend Chris L would say, <laughs> a little um, booger sugar. <laughs> but um but I do um I like um uh, if Deep Purple had a consistent logo I would have been like meh but I mean you <laughs> yeah, know they've proven that they do not care for the consistent logo at all which which I think the uh the logo is is pretty neat it's interesting um and the it's very 90s the you know like the alternating fonts and sizes and putting a dot in there for no reason yeah. Um, and, and the parentheses being two different types of like yeah, a, you bracket got a bracket on to one open side. it, a parentheses to close it. It's very, yeah. And uh perpendicular written in this, this kind of red scribbly, like handwritten scribble font. Um, uh, it, it just kind of gives it that, um, that kind of, um, 
um, kind of a lo-fi artistic quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just uh, look looking at it, it's uh, it's it's um, it's kind of like if you look at it really quick, um, you don't think too much of it. But as we've proved many times, that once you kind of sit here and study the album cover and all the little things about it, it's actually kind of interesting. So um, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's really it's really cool, and it's um, I, I thought the exact same thing as you when I thought it. Oh my god, it's so modern! And you know, here here we are. What twenty? Was it 28 years later or whatever, <laughs> 27 years later, um, looking at this album cover? And, you know, when you say it's like, oh, it's not like a classic, like machine head and in rock. But it's, of course, because it's brand new, you know, <laughs> we've had yeah. we had 25 years to get used to all of those uh, classic album covers. And then anything that's brand new is by definition not a classic. You know, people talk about being instant classic, but. I think that this album cover now strikes, you know, I think when you see one of those classic album covers, whether it's Machine Head, In Rock, Burn, some of the more iconic ones, it strikes up like a feeling like inside, you know, you see it and you just, oh, it takes you back to seeing that album cover because that was how it started, right? You took out the album or whether it was an album and you pull out the record or a CD and you you open it up and that's where the journey begins, putting it on the turntable, putting it in the CD player, putting the tape deck, whatever. Uh, so it's it, it kind of, it has these like warm, you get these warm and fuzzies from any of those albums that you really, really love. And of course you didn't from this because you hadn't even heard the music yet. Um, so it makes sense, but it's an interesting design. It's very of its time. Um, and interesting how it's like nothing on it is centered anywhere. Deep Purple's kind of maybe right justified perpendiculars left justified the match is snapped but it's not nothing lines up um evenly yeah. uh but it's still a really really cool album cover and um i was just i i always really dug it in fact looking at my cd copy right here it is actually a little different the um the deep purple logo is much smaller on mine so i don't know if this is this this album art i got is from like a more recent reissue or um but well I would say that this is probably one of their the better album covers from like up until that time, because I think all of the like you were saying, the the 60s and the 70s album covers were all I don't want to say I like some some of them were like Machine Head was iconic, like Shades of Deep Purple was not, you know, <laughs> like they were interesting. Yeah. yeah, like they all I mean, at this point or at that point, um, even they were all classic. They were all like really good, interesting album covers. Then you got to Perfect Strangers when they reformed out of the seventies, and that yeah. was pretty simple. But I would say that was an iconic one. But oh, sure. every one after that was kind of like, like House of Blue Light, Nobody's Perfect, um, Slaves and Masters. Like all, all of them, just kind of looked like I don't know. They 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 didn't have that same quality about them. It's like they. They just weren't like even the. I remember seeing like the battle rages on, and I remember thinking like, "This looks dumb," you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I know that your feelings on it were a little bit different. I mean, it yeah, is it I is a pretty it. cool logo, and uh, we talked about how say like um, slaves and masters if they had used the I think it was the back or the the inside cover instead with the the hands or whatever it would have yeah. uh, or different colors it would have looked uh, cool or whatever. But I think this is the first kind of like when you look at this, I think fresh beginnings, the new yeah. era of the band. Uh, I think it's perfect for it because it has, um, it looks like there's a lot more um, thought and purpose behind it. Um, yeah. If that makes sense, because like the first thing I think of is, is like house of blue light where it looks like 
somebody staged like something in the, the high school props department and then just like <laughs> took a picture of it and like uh, and just like slapped it on the album it cover. Looks, it looks the House of Blue Light looks like the cover of like a like a D&D like monster manual or something or like, you know, this is where I'm going to op- I'm going to open it up and just see pictures of different monsters and how many hit points they have. Well, like, yeah, exactly. Because it's like if you look at um, uh, we talked about um, um, they did a bunch of uh, interesting stuff to make Machine Head look the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um um, like um, I'm trying to think. Like Stormbringer was a was an illustration. You know, they they yeah, um, like an il- com- illustration over, on top of a photograph, and like in rock right. was photographs superimposed over the you know the Mount Rushmore, and-, and and so was like Come Taste the Band. You know, was the 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 faces superimposed over that, and so the the rest of them, like I guess compared to that, some of the '80s album covers kind of looked like okay, you weren't really focusing on like because uh, a lot of them too were band pictures like they had pictures of the band on it and mm-hmm. i don't know if those were really as in vogue around this time like uh, having like pictures of like band photos being the album cover especially yeah. since these guys were already well established so you didn't need it to be a picture of them yeah and i'm not i'm not a big fan of just a picture of the band like unless it's something interesting like in rock is cool burn is cool because they take like their like, fireball you know like those old those are pictures of the band technically but like shades of deep purple is just the pictures of the band like it looks like a family photo session <laughs> they went to <laughs> you know they went to sears and, yeah they went to Sears, like that red hot chili peppers album where they just went to sears and got the family photo and just slapped it on the back of the album which was funny but you know they also probably paid 30 dollars for that whereas deep purple apparently paid what two million dollars for that album cover which we've mm. talked about a yeah. million times on the show um but yeah i, I yeah, like how simple I, this you know. album cover is and i think some of the most iconic album covers are really simple it's not it's three colors right purple red and white i guess mm-hmm. a little black uh, but it's, so it's very very simple and some of that stuff is shaded a little but it's a lot of negative space a lot of just solid color background um so it's cool it it lets you focus on what it is and uh you know that that crazy frenetic scratching of purple and the red looks like you know maybe maybe your cocaine reference was uh you know involved in that (laughs) it looks like somebody just did did a couple lines and that's like perpendicular and just like (laughs) scratched it all out there but um it's but yeah it's really cool just the kind of broken match it's perpendicular it meets the whole like uh theme that they're going for with the album but it's a classic but um ian gillen says uh, the word perpendicular had been around for a few years and was actually, well, a few years, but I think the way that they're using it, been around for a few more years than that. Um, and it was actually an album title I suggested at the time of The Battle Rages On, but it didn't seem to fit the occasion then. We knew what we wanted uh, to call the song a something or other waltz, and Roger and I were sitting in the studio throwing suggestions at each other, mostly idiotic ones, when the word perpendicular was uttered, and we both leapt up and just knew it was, it, it was right. It felt good. Uh, so on... July 21st, according to the yearbook, Bruce Payne and PR consultant Peter Bird met. Uh, Peter insisted that the name for the project had to be decided immediately. So Ian Gillen suggested the perpendicular name that they talked about it, and they went with that. It's on August 26th, Bruce Payne and Peter Bird met again in Orlando to discuss the album's artwork. Peter showed them the idea for the broken match. Everyone said, thumbs up, let's do it. And that's how they came up with the album. Pretty, pretty quick. Uh, Peter Bird doesn't have any other credits on Discogs, and the artwork be- was done by credited to MCW. Also, the only credit on Discogs. They do that a lot sometimes, where they put in like these little—I don't want to say it's a fake name, but fake or phony names—and then they 
Um, mm-hmm. You look them up, and there's no other credits. But often it's like whatever. What was it? The uh, the backing singers for the for the the, the Fabuloso Brothers for White Snake, <laughs> yeah. or you know the White Snake Choir. They do this, and it's usually just like a made up thing. So I don't know what MCW is. If anyone knows, mm. let us know. Well, and the other thing that I like about this too, which I thought was um, <laughs> kind of um, clever, was is that the title is perpendicular, and the beginning of it sounds like purple because you have right. P U R P. That's, so that's how you know Gillen is involved. It's the, the, the pun, yeah, exactly. You know, per, purple, perpendicular. They, they yeah, misspell yeah, perpendicular to get that. You know, like yeah, that's that's what I was always thinking was is oh they were trying to do like you know deep purple. Purple, indicular. Purple, so, <laughs> purple indicular. Yeah, so, yeah. So the word perpendicular doesn't come up very often in 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 com- in regular car- conversations. But I wonder how many other Deep Purple fans out there always like instinctively misspell perpendicular because of this album title. Because <laughs> anytime I actually have to write it out, which again isn't very often, I always I, I always start with pu and I'm like no 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 the real word is pe. <laughs> um, so anyway. Um, so that's the album cover, and then we're, I guess we're going to get to something on the inside. This is so. This was interesting about the booklet is when you unfolded it, it unfolded into this nine-panel almost poster. It's not really a poster, but uh, where it has uh, lyrics for all the different songs on there, and then the album cover is still on there. And then when you flip this whole thing over, it gets to this, which is the the match again, doing the perpendicular thing. It's got the band members. You know, Gillen, Glover, Lord, Morris, and Pace. And then the credits thing, if I zoom in, um, they did it all perpendicular. You know, they started it and then just kind of, you know, perpendicularly um, swir- swirled it inwards so that all the, the, the words on this side of it are perpendicular. So okay. um, wh- what do you have? What, what do you have up your sleeve about this that I don't remember? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I can kind of I can kind of see it, but it was like uh, I remember that we were we were looking at this. I don't know if this 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 is this the CD foldout. Yeah, yeah. All right, then this must have been your CD foldout because I I must have the cassette somewhere, and maybe they had it that way. But either way, when we saw this, um, I mean, these guys like at the time, like what we were we were what twenty, yeah, we twenties like or early 20s, 1920, yeah. and these guys are like in their fifties. Yeah. Except, um, I think Steve Morris was a little bit younger, right? Yeah. He's about, I think like 10 years younger than them about. Oh, okay. So I remember we were looking at it and I just remember you laughing at this and I'm like, what? And you're like, well, it looks like they, like, these guys are all like old guys. We're just like, oh, these are all old guys now. (laughs) And it looks like they aged Steve Morse in the picture to look as old (laughs) as them. And you, because like, it looks like they grayed his hair and kind of like, shaded his face a little bit to like look as old as they did and you're just laughing about it because you're like look it looks like they aged him so he could match the rest of the band and you thought it was the funniest thing I don't don't remember this at all (laughs) and I was like that's such a Nate thing to think (laughs) I mean it it looking at it now, it doesn't really look that no, way. But no, it's like I don't think so. for some reason, I think we we thought that. And looking um, at it now, they don't look so old at all because they're, they're no, basically they our age. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. No, they look they look fantastic, and that's yeah. how you know that we've gotten older because they're like, oh look at all these old guys. You know, they they still look great. Um, they do. But they I really mean, do. 
<laughs> but I, I just remember like 19, 20 year old you going, <laughs> look, they tried to make they they aged his photo to make him look as old as the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. And it was like it was it was so stupid. The only you know, one who it was looks such old. like a kid thing to say. <laughs> yeah, when you're whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever we're nineteen or twenty. But John Lord's the only one who looks a little old, but just because he he's embracing the gray hair and just going with it, he just yeah. He but probably, I mean, dude, he looks badass. He looks so bad. I mean, he's always looked badass. He just his his badassery just changes forms. But yeah, um, yeah. But as far as you know, he he's got a little bit of the the darker hair. Uh, here, but he's got the the gray is really coming in strong. You know, he just goes gray like earlier than the rest of the band, or the rest of the band is using a little a little supplements to to help. Um, but but uh, you know, I'm I'm fortunate that I have not gone that gray. But you know, I'm probably losing more hair than him, and um, but I don't have the cool badass gray ponytail, which I hope I, I hope to achieve one day. But but yeah, this is uh this is a cool uh, insert here. Um, I I really um. Yeah, it's. I like this. I like the um, the kind of looking off to the side glamour shots, like Gillen and Glover. I remember just being a little annoyed at the time, like I didn't like the foldouts. I'm like, ah, you gotta fold out this big thing. So it's like you're, it's like you're in the car reading a map. <laughs> you just want, I just want to know the lyrics. I don't want to hold this giant sheet in front of my face. Um, but other than that, I think the actual presentation of it is really cool. Um, yeah. And then the back of the album is like kind of stresses me out a little because they're using that same font to list all the song titles. I remember looking at this and being like, Jesus Christ! I guess I'll just I'll listen. It looks and see. really. Like, yeah, it's just all over. It's it, you know, it's like rah, it's all rah. it's like assaults your senses. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> yeah, it's like giving me anxiety already. I'm like, but I, but looking at that, I'm also just kind of like, I feel like this is gonna be heavier, you know, like just just by the, the how they're presenting it, and they're just putting like a dot in between all the song names. So I was kind of like, yeah. like, what what is this? Is this called like soon forgotten sometimes? And I was like, oh okay, like it's all just kind of. Uh, mashed up there, but it's, you know, it totally fits the theme that they put presented on me. And I've seen other versions of this. I don't know where they were released, but where they um, have a back cover of this where it's just printed out plain in in a plain font, um, which is easier to read, but doesn't really match the theme so well. So anyway, it's a pretty simple booklet. There's not too much to go through because they jammed everything onto those, those two pages, but that's kind of uh well, I like this because this seems to have um, um, it seems it seems that there was some thought put mm-hmm. into it. Yep. Um, even when you look at the like a lot of times, like, I think like in the 70s, even the 80s, it was acceptable to have those kind of like, oh, let's take pictures from uh, like like the first Rainbow album where it's like, oh, let's just take different pictures and put it in there. And like they didn't do a photo shoot for the album, yeah. whereas this looks very intentional, like, OK, we're going to do photo shoot for the album we're gonna thoughtfully lay it out there's yep. a theme with the lyrics being in that swirl they had the 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 font as as frantic as it looks on the back but it's it looks all very purposeful and like there was some time put into it so i think that that's kind of adds to the the album's appeal that it, it pulls it together and makes it look like okay this is a this is a serious well-produced project not like um maybe the 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 last album where it was like pulling teeth, yeah, uh, <laughs> almost. A, you're not even gonna get a picture of Richie in there, but um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that because on a, so many other projects, like Come Taste the Band, like 
Glenn Hughes wasn't available for the photo shoot because I think he had gone uh, like they had just sent him into like rehab or something. So he wasn't available for recording of the the final song mm-hmm. and the photo shoot. So they just grabbed another picture they had from him. So it's like it doesn't match with the other ones because it's not done on the same film in the same environment. Then there were there were there are other albums like that too. And I'm I'm drawing a, a blank right now where they oh like the uh, uh, the first the first Richie Blackmore's Rainbow where they get mm-hmm. all these live shots of the band and it looks like right. that band never played live together because they took elf live shots and a Richie right. Deep Purple live shot and mixed them all together to give this, which worked really well because I didn't know that until we read about it years and years later that it was even yeah, that you way. Don't think about that. So, it, you know, you think of it, you see, oh, there's, there's a, you know, Gary on the drums and Ronnie singing. I was like, oh, this must be them playing live. Nope. <laughs> yeah. It's elf so and I then a Richie um, shot. Yeah. So when you, when you look at it from that perspective, it's, um, it is a very, uh, looks like a very well thought out design for the whole for all the album art and i'm sure that you were talking about being annoyed unfolding the whole thing i'm sure that it worked great in a vinyl um setting even though you haven't opened i haven't opened my vinyl yet (laughs) (laughs) i bet that it's it's really cool um on vinyl yep um that whole set yeah because this one you know opening it up like in in not just the scan it's you know, I, I'm sure when I was 20, it wasn't a big deal. But now, I'm definitely gonna have to lift the glasses up to read these, uh, <laughs> read these lyrics. But it's, you know, it's a big. <laughs> Steve Morse is the first face I saw. Now I can't stop thinking about that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, the print is pretty small on yeah on this one right here. But Oof. yeah, that's and it's funny. It's funny because you were you were talking about. I don't want to unfold this thing like a map or whatever, which, which makes it, which is, uh, which is pretty silly considering that 20 years earlier, that's, you would have something that size as vinyl, which was the main form of people listening to music. And then, yeah, it's, that's for, that's true. It's probably when you full unfold this, it's probably almost the same size as the, maybe a little bigger than the record, but not by much. And then 20, and then 20 years later, us crazy kids couldn't be involved. Like uh, we, we couldn't be bothered with like, nah, I gotta unfold this big ass thing. <laughs> we wanted everything all compact and tiny. And yeah. And now I'd be like, do they, do they make a large print version of this? <laughs> I'd like to be able to read these lyrics. Good thing they have lyrics websites. Cause otherwise I, I if I was trying to read along with these, forget it these days. Oh. Need some bifocals. Um, <laughs> so before we get on to the actual music here, uh, we'd like to do something, which is to thank our core level patrons coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier. We have Michael Vader and Richard Fusey at the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, Fielding Fowler at the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving at the $6.65 Almost Evil tier. Mr. Kenny Wymore at the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford, and Carl Helberg at the 60 Swedish Kroner tier, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, and at the $5 Moneylender tier, Big Breath In, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger, Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Will Porter, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, and Cynthia Doobie. Thank you so much. For all of your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast, we couldn't do it without you. Nor would we want to. Actually, we kind of, we 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 did say when we first started that even if nobody listens, this will be fun to just get together and talk. But we definitely did not expect, as we get into 200 episodes here, that there would be this many people listening and, and engaging mm. with us on a daily basis. So 
does make it more fun. It is, yeah, it is. It, it is it's great discovering all this stuff, but it's such a privilege to have met so many amazing people through the show and just constantly learning new stuff and people being just so cool and so nice and friendly with their information and sharing their stories and that's what that's what really uh uh makes this great because we have our own stories about a lot of this stuff but there's a lot of stuff that we don't have a history with so uh when you hear other people's background is with it it's pretty pretty cool to hear i was you know i was at that show or i was i i bought that the day it came out and we were five years old when it came out or whatever so we didn't we didn't but even interacting with it just seeing hearing the stories or the 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 friends that we've made um that we've met that we've actually met yeah and Developing those friendships with them beyond just telling the purple stories. I mean, it always kind of comes back to Deep Purple or music in general. But I mean, that's really one of the best parts of this is interacting online or in person with with people and those relationships that we build. And I mean, it, it also makes it, it it broadens our knowledge, too. I mean, yeah. Just just doing the show and then getting all these different perspectives or information from people, I feel like we don't just love Deep Purple, but we've learned so much more about them too. So, right. And um, speaking of uh, meeting people in uh, in uh, person, mm, we good, we've met so segue. many. We've met so many people in person and uh, potentially some more because I forgot to mention at the top of the show, but we are going to see Deep Purple live. Um. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. When this come out, we already saw Deep Purple live, so forget about it. <laughs> That's why I didn't. I was like, oh, I didn't put in the show notes. It's like, oh, because the show's over. <laughs> so never mind. Whoops. I won't advertise. You will not get a chance. You were maybe already met with us, and um, we had a great time meeting with you, whoever you are. <laughs> uh, trying to get ahead with episodes here. Okay. So with that, then we can get right into the music and this one opens up. And again, all this, uh, th they go back to all songs written and performed by Deep Purple. They go to the true like band format, jamming work, hashing these, hash, hashing these songs out uh, live in the studio. And you can really tell um, how based on how cohesive this album is starts off with Vavoom, the Ted mechanic, uh, Vavoom, Ted, the mechanic. And I want you to just imagine, even if you're familiar with the song, if you're not familiar with the song, if you heard it a million times, if you've never heard it, just imagine knowing everything about deep purple to this point before, and then putting this brand new CD into the player. And this being the first thing you hear. And that's what takes me back. Every time I hear this song is like hearing this and just being like, Holy shit. So here we go. Vavoom, Ted the Mechanic. What are these noises? <laughs> you know, right? I loved this right away because it was so heavy. It's so heavy. He's hitting those little pinch harmonics and. I just like it was so heavy it blew my freaking mind. I was like it's I was like in my mind I was like it's deep purple but a heavy metal version of deep purple. And of yeah. course as the album progresses it's not all like this. This part's so melodic. I love it. And the and the and let's talk about the production too. Is this like probably the best production they've had in a while. It sounds great. And yeah, we talked about 
basically everything from House of Blue Light through Battle Rages on, not really loving the production. But I mean, I feel like this I'll is very this right timeless. Religion. <laughs> when he does that, I'm like, that's like straight up Gillen band. Oh yeah. <laughs> this this song is very Gillen in the lyrics. But I mean, everything everything in this is really well balanced. You can hear everything great. It's it's a very dry production, but it's it's really it works for it. It makes it very timeless. And this part here is very classic. Gillen following the guitar line. Yep. And you can hear the organ really punching through. And we get our first Morris guitar solo. Really hear the delay on the solo on the left channel there on his guitar. It's really going to the right channel with that delay in the left. And here we got a classic deep purple breakdown for the solo here. He's got his born again vocals here. Oh yeah, it's like. I don't know if it's double tracked or just like a chorus effect or it's probably double tracked. Like he said, the banjo player took a hike. It's a classic line. <laughs> as we know, Gillen always called Richie the banjo player, which I'm sure pissed him <laughs> off. <laughs> Some classic like off time snare hits from Pacey in the back there. Hot damn. If that doesn't uh, wow. send a statement at the beginning of, a, of an album with a new era, um, and Deep Purple has historically had a, you know, has had a history of making a statement with their first album back with a new lineup change. But uh, that's, that's true. Vavoom, Ted the Mechanic. I don't, no one ever calls it Vavoom. <laughs> no one ever says the Vavoom. I think they just, they're always like Ted the Mechanic. But yeah, because um, it's just like, uh, it, it almost, it almost sounds too formal. Like, you know what my <laughs> yeah, favorite like, song is? <laughs> Ted the Mechanic, Ted Esquire. The mechanic. 
<laughs> Mr. Ted the Mechanic Esquire, sir. <laughs> Vavoom. That's like his, <laughs> that's his, uh, what do you call it? What do you call that thing? Mr. What do you call that? The the name for Mr. and Mrs. It's like they, they have it on websites sometimes where they drop it down. I'm like, don't you give me any of that bullshit. <laughs> My name. <Yep>. Like, <laughs> you know, no, I know like, what you mean. It's like the title, like the formal. The, yeah, the prefix the honorific, is that what they call it? Um, they're like, oh, dro- drop down. Do you want to be Mr. Mrs. Ms.? Like, get that out of here. I'm just trying to sign up for like some stupid thing. Some stupid <laughs> website. Um, so a few things mm-hmm. before we get into our ratings um, from the yearbook. Um, well, and from not the yearbook, but so this song had gotten out in early bootlegs before the album was came out because they played it in Korea uh, and in Florida. And it's often uh, in those bootlegs mistitled as Ken the Mechanic, probably because they just couldn't <laughs> hear what he was saying. Um, uh. Uh, uh, so it was written uh, early on in, in January, um, initially called Ted the Mechanic, but then they added Vavoom on to it. And as we talked about, Vavoom was... The other song, Vavoom, was not this song. Uh, so Steve Moore says, One of the uh, best things about writing with this band is how everyone nurtures an idea instead of just rejecting it. I felt this right from the start. It was great. You know, when you first play an idea and you don't know how people will react, but when everyone starts jamming along and Roger turns on his dat recorder, and especially when Ian Gillen starts dancing and singing to himself, you know it could definitely be a song. So there you go. Vavoom, Ted the Mechanic. What do you think, John? So this one was this one was strong right out of the gate. So um, this one gets a five from me. All right. Um, yeah, one of um, one of my favorite songs on the on the album. Probably one of my favorite Purple songs too. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, of course, I have a lot. But um, yeah, everything about this, uh, like I was talking about, um, um, the the just the, the the freshness that Steve Morris is playing injects into the band um is is obvious when you hear this um yeah um i mean and when you think about it he's really not that different from any of the other players that they've had over the years um he's just um he's just a little uh he's technically different um he, yeah, you know he yeah. plays um you know he plays a lot cleaner he plays um i mean you could argue that you know uh, him richie tommy bolin all played really fast but he i would say he's the cleanest um, yeah, I mean, technically, on a technical yeah. level, I mean, he, he's he, he just so highly regarded by he's a guitar yeah. player, as guitar player, he's right you know, as we as we but, talked but about, but not but not inaccessible, like we talked about, not your stock shredder, which I mean, we we always had that um, um, kind of that uh, that that stigma attached to like oh Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, all those people are just these soulish shredders and it's mm-hmm. like yeah they're they're shredders but not in a uh, derogatory sense of the word like uh, we we know these guys have have soul they put a lot of feeling behind it mm-hmm. it's, it's i think it's if like outside looking in you just look at a guitar player like him and you just without knowing anything and you're just like shredder yeah uh, but um but aside from what he brought to the band at the time, uh, like I said, the, the the song is just really well written. I love the dynamics. I love they bring the dynamics back after the solo. They bring it down, and it's like really, really quiet. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and Gillen does those double tracked like uh, like disturbing the priest style <laughs> yeah. uh, vocals, which I really liked. And you hear John Lord kind of 
tickling the ivories a little bit, just like uh, just very dynamic stuff. And um, overall, the 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 track, the whole album is just well produced. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's very it sounds it, it almost sounds timeless because it's a it's what I consider to be like a dry production. Like Gillen doesn't have any effects on his vocals. Um, there there is some effects on the guitar solo, which is great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like um, it it all it's almost like you put it on now and it sounds as fresh as it did back then because mm-hmm. it's not dated to the production of the time, say like the battle rages on. Yeah. Um, for instance. So, um, but yeah, just so much great stuff in the song and what, what a great way to start the, the album and kind of introduce the new, the new deep purple, the new band. And definitely uh, Steve Morris gets a very strong and heavy introduction. I don't know if that was part of the rationale behind putting this song first, but um, it definitely is like, Hey, here's the new guy. Let's, let's let him shine. Um, I am, also going to give this one a five. It's always been a favorite of mine as well. It's it's what I, when I look at, when we talk about that feeling you get when you look at an album cover, when I see this album cover, I just hear, I, I just hear the, like yeah. that really just heavy, heavy uh, riff and, or I don't even know if the riff, just heavy, like those, that chord pattern, whatever he's doing. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, I can just, I, I always just remember being in my room you were probably there. We'd probably just gotten back from the record store and putting that on for the first time and just being like, wow, like, I can't believe, you know, I never considered Deep Purple to be a heavy metal band and I still don't, but that was, I was expecting when that came in, I was like, this whole album is going to be basically a heavy metal album. And then as soon as they get to the more melodic parts of the song, you're like, okay, this is more of a traditional format, but interesting hearing the writing between the, uh, uh, between him, Morris and the band. So awesome mm-hmm. awesome way to kick off the album all right so the next track up that we get is called loosen my strings and this one kind of blew me away too you've got this like very electric piano sound Is this the beginning of the boy boy band rowling? <laughs> Listen to that bass. When I heard that bass, I was like, Roger's going off on this album. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> it's so melodic, but it's also that, that amount of like treble that they've got in the bass. It just it punches through the mix so well. Yeah. But great having this kind of like little down tempo reprieve after after the onslaught of the last song. Yeah, see, to your point about Roger's bass punching through the mix, it's like that's why I feel like just really impressive the way the album is mixed because you you get to hear everything everything kind of stands out yeah and this has never been remastered or remixed or anything and i don't think it really needs needs it i don't think any album really needs it but um it just uh, it sounds good still some of Gillen's uh, best melodic work I feel like on on some of these songs in this album 
Is that... Is the piano being doubled with a guitar? I think it is. I think they're picking out those notes together, but the guitar is a little down in the mix, so it sounds like almost like part of the piano. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. Mm. It always blows my mind, no matter how many times I've heard a song, when we start doing these episodes, I hear things I've never heard before. Mostly because of the headphones. Because yeah. I, you know, hearing them in good quality headphones versus on a noisy car radio or whatever. Morse's note choices are just. I mean, he always throws in the like he always throws that to go into something, but his like <laughs> bends and his note choices like are so melodic. If he was just doing that big 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 thing the whole time, it would be insane. But it's like him just winding when he's doing that. You know, he's winding up to just hit an amazing note that's going to hit you right, right in the heart. organ sounds awesome and I can't remember where it's mentioned here but there's a good quote it'll come up eventually in one of these songs about Morse Morse talking about Lord's organ sound on this album Yeah, it's really, it is very, very melodic. Like, uh, Gillen's got some great, great vocals in this. This, this outro, is very classic here. This outro to the song is just so emotional. I think it's just once, once Lord's Hammond crack cranks up, like, it just sounds very classic sounding purple. Great, uh, some people don't yeah, like just, fade outs, but this is a great fade out. No, it was just a really like a really melodic outro, just a very kind of cranks up a little bit and 
they're just kind of going off on this jam, which sounds some sound stuff sounds good fading out. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they fade like out too good, fast, and you're just like, yeah. "Hey, I want more." But, but like, yeah, yeah. it's just so emotional. I, I feel like I don't know if they were playing off of each other, but I feel like this is some of Gillen's most melodic vocals, and Steve is so melodic on this that I don't know if it's just again like just they were influencing each other, but just really, really strong material to kick off the album. Yeah, so, for sure. Speaking of which, what do you think of "Loosen My Strings"? Yeah, so this one I haven't, um, I admittedly haven't heard that often or maybe in a while, um, but um, I, I think it's, um, I think it was really good. Um, I give it a four. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, it's um, definitely uh, kind of like uh, ratchets back a little bit from the opening track, but it's, it's kind of settles into like a, a good place because you're not, um, it's not, it's not really a ballad. It's just kind of like, what did you say? It was like kind of a mid, a mid tempo or lower mid tempo kind of. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a a break from the, cause if they kept up on that, I mean, if they kept up at the pace of Ted, the mechanic, it would just knock you down (laughs) yeah and and i think that the dynamics in the like you talked about the dynamics in ted the mechanic where they get really really soft with the music you need that dynamics across the the course of the album there's so many albums out there and a lot of it i think has to do with like brick wall mastering and all that volume Mm -hmm. wars all that nonsense i don't want to get into but you put the album on it from start to finish it's just the same tempo the same volume everything in your face and you know you like a, a chance to that's why i like some of some of those songs like deep purple over the years like anyone's daughter or holy man or whatever the throw out those those songs where it gives you a little break and a little something a little softer a softer tone to it um yeah and that's that's what this and that's what this had is like it was um it was kind of like a, they brought it down to kind of a, a melodic a melodic type of song um mm-hmm. Not not quite a ballad and not quite a rocker either. So it was, um, I mean, um, we we talked about how uh, Roger's bass is just uh, does this really interesting thing. It it just creates a creates the the melody throughout the song. Mm-hmm. Um, Gillen's uh, like you said, Gillen's vocals are some of his best uh, uh, melodically, and then that outro is is just. Um, yeah, it's it was really great. It was like perfect to like fade out on, because mm-hmm. um, it kind of gave you that feeling of um, just kind of you don't even notice that it fades out. Um, you know, it's just this great right. little, just this great kind of melodic jam. And then, of course, you, you, Steve Morse, who could have, uh, I think, like a lot of these players, like easily overplayed. He's not. No, no. So he's far, too in smart. Album. He's too smart. Too tasteful for that. And he doesn't appear mm-hmm. to have. An ego, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, of course, everyone's got an ego, but I feel like it, just the way he comes across, you know, and right. obviously being in a band with some, you know, pretty big egos for 20, what, 28 years, um, mm-hmm. he couldn't have had too big an ego because <laughs> he made it that whole time and it was just, and everyone seems to just, they loved him then, they love him now. Um, so he must just be really. Uh, you know, a really great musician and easy to get along with. And he, mm-hmm. I mean, he comes across that way. I ever see him, he's just there with his little yeah. like shell necklace and his cool sunglasses, just looking so cool. And just like <laughs> he just sees, oh yeah, hey man, like he's just like a uh, he's just a super professional and just cool guy. But 
Um, I'm going to give this one 4.5. Really love it. Love that outro. Love, I mean, love everything about it. And I remember when I first heard it and I, I'm looking at my CD and trying to read this font on the back and it comes on as like, loosen my strings. It's like, and then Roger starts playing. I just remember every time I think about it, I think of the strings as being like his bass strings. I don't know why. I, obviously, that's not what it's about. Hmm. The song's about Roger's bass strings. Um, but <laughs> it's, you know, it just, it made, it sounded like they loosened up his bass strings the way he was playing because it was so, he was all over the place. It's, it's one of his, you know, more uh, adventurous bass lines. And it's really cool and melodic and just awesome. But anyway, this one um, was, uh, Written on the four, their fourth day in the studio, and they recorded it in June. Roger Glover's journal, he says, so to, work and, um, so to work and yet another magic day happened. I was tuning up and started doodling on the bass. Steve joined in and made it sound really good. Everyone joined in, and it wasn't long before the semblance of a structure emerged. Within an hour, it had turned into a very promising song. I was amazed by the ability of Steve to enhance what he heard. The atmosphere surrounding the writing session is perfect. Relaxed, calm, exciting, happy. The music is flowing from all of us like it hasn't done since Machine Head, though to me it is more reminiscent of Hanwell in 1969, where he's talking about the um, uh, writing sessions for In Rock. Um, Steve is always deferential and modest, but it feels really like he is totally assimilated into the band. We ended up, the end of the day, feeling exhilarated. Um, and again, this is four days into the recording session and just like like we saw from the early quote from john lord roger glover is just as like this is great like it just feels good you know and yeah. like it, and as we talked about before not putting the blame on blackmore or putting the blame on the band but clearly it was not that feeling <laughs> with the last uh few blackmore no. uh, sessions so no you could you could tell that this was well thought out yeah um the you know there was a there was a good vibe everything was worked out fleshed out um very well like you you could just tell absolutely okay next track up is a track called soon forgotten I heard this intro and I was like, oh, they're doing something sort of like a Beatles kind of thing. And then this happens. And I was like, no, they're not doing a Beatles thing. <laughs> Although the chord progression is very like Strawberry Fields kind of sounding. You got more Born Again sort of a... Uh, vocals yeah. creeping in kind of a little bit of heavyish yeah I, I I call this like Gillen's born again vocals. Yes. Not the screaming ones, but like the, the ones where he doubles or triples them and does this. He mentions the warriors of the flat earth in this one, which I always thought was a super cool lyric and then would have eventually lift that flat earth thing for the album that we recorded. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of half inspired by this. Yeah. 
It's a very like intense sound, feeling song. The thing that like I, when I first heard it, I didn't like it. To me, it was just it was too discordant and like it, it makes me feel. It still makes me feel uneasy, but I definitely yeah, it makes you feel very uneasy. Yeah, this, this is one, and this is why we talk about sometimes when you hear an album for the first time, some some things just have to grow on you. Some album tracks you get right away, and some have to grow on you. This had to grow on me because I was just like, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> it's all. <laughs> And it, it just felt very, very modern. Oh, this solo here. It's really hard to bend on the guitar and just be have that level of precision, but people like Morse can do it with ease. I just I, I just thought like the warriors of the flat earth have become the tyrants of the globe was kind of cool imagery. This reminded me of Megadeth. That that sounded like a Marty Friedman sort of. Oh yeah. And he goes into that little Arabic scale for a second, like very Friedman. Speaking of someone who can bend. Now listen to this organ. <laughs> yeah. He throws in a little space truck in there. Kind of the same idea of the those chromatic was going. And I think it's like Rap Bat Blue that he's that is really reminding me of too. That the organ part, not the crazy part. <laughs> but that's like, and I think as as much as this song kind of rankled me a little when I first heard it because it it does have that discord and it's on purpose. So it's not like they're like, oh, we were trying to write this very beautiful melody. No, they're trying to make something <laughs> kind of make this this uneasy feeling to it. Yes. Um, Very jarring, yeah. But in this song, as I go into it before it's even done, you get right into a great, you know, the classic Hammond sound and a trade off of solos, like all the things that you're looking for in a Deep Purple song. Maybe this song itself is not what you'd be expecting if you're looking for something more machine head, but that interplay between guitar and, and organ is just just really cool. So. Anyway, no, yeah, that's it, definitely soon forgotten. What do you think? Or should I get into the? Well, let me do the things first, and then we'll then we'll yeah, do so, the things. So the things. Um, so this began on on Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety five. Oh, a day I remember well. Um, uh, the uh, this I guess two two songs started that day. This one and a touch away. Um, 
Steve Moore says, I really got into that demonic heavy feel, that huge juggernaut effect. Ian Gillen started playing this idea on an acoustic, and no one understood it at first, but eventually it worked. It was kind of the thing that invited dramatic chord changes to break up the E to F pattern, and it was fun finding out how many unrelated majors could be introduced. So getting a little technical on us. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ian Pace uh, says, couldn't understand it at all. Total confusion for me. Not a great deal of love either at first, but Ian persisted and I eventually gave in and gave it a shot. And I'm very pleased I did. So I think he was feeling the same way I was with like, what the hell is going <laughs> on with this? It's a little out there. Um, yeah. John Lord says, it took me a while to understand the idea, but once I'd settle into an organ rift over the F diminished fifth thing, it clicked. When Steve started, uh, that can only be described as a churning guitar figure, a smiling Roger started exploring the bass possibilities. Pace found one of his um, indefinable feels, and Ian Gillen started dancing and singing. It all fell into place. Um, so A smiling Roger. A smi- <laughs> hey! <laughs> he's looking all like goofy and happy over this like demonic song. Hey! He looks like he's in a skiffle band. Um, <laughs> And uh, so a few days later, Gillen wrote the lyrics and Gillen says, it's great working with Raj, but there are some songs on this album that I really feel needed to be expressed in a very personal way. Sometimes you just have to do that. It can only be done without compromise. This was one of those. So um, this was the first song that they mixed on the album later that September. Uh, So interesting notes there and some definitely inside baseball stuff about the, you know, F diminished thing. Uh, So I'll have to. I can I know enough diminished, so I should go I can play that on the piano. So I can I can play. Um I don't know if Roger can play an F diminished. I know he can't play an F major on the guitar. <laughs> can he do F diminished? We'll have to ask him if we get if we get maybe we have already asked him. Oh my goodness. That'd be the first thing. Hey Roger, can you play F diminished? Uh, he won't he, he probably won't remember us. <laughs> no, but I can still ask him that question. He'll be like, hey, it's nice to meet you. And I'll be like, can you play F diminished? <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who are these idiots? Um, okay. So what do you, what do you think about this song? You know, I was, um, while I was hearing it, I'm like, I was getting, I was getting three, but I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, I appreciate what they're trying to do here. It was definitely, it, it's deep purple right now. They're being heavy unlike this on, on Vavoom, Ted, the mechanic. Yep. I'm going to use the full name. <laughs> you get the full formal. <laughs> Is this like a wedding or something? <laughs> <laughs> they're being they're being heavy without being like heavy metal. Like you can be heavy without being like metal. You know what I mean? Right, right. So this is definitely heavy and in that um, like unnerving. Yep. Um, uh, very unsettling. Uh, very, uh, I feel like a different kind of song for them. So I give them points for doing something uh, different without trying to sound like, ah, we got this new guitar player in the band who can do a F diminished. Let's <laughs> fuck around with that. I know? think they've always had a guitar player that can do F diminished. <laughs> Whether they write, <laughs> use it in a writing context is another. But I'm pretty but, confident that the other three could have done it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yes, it's, yes. It's, um, it, it's like um, I, I feel like the the idea the idea came up because they were all together working together to this, to this idea. And I think that just having that new element in there at the time, um, again, with, with Steve Morris helped that. Um, but one of the things that I really liked was John Lord taking that short solo at the end, because not only it, it not only sounded like a classic Hammond solo, but it was like, it was produced like a two, like, Mm -hmm. um, this, 
when we're talking about the the production on it, which, like I said, sounds very uh, timeless. It almost made me think of the way that his keyboard sounded on Machine Head. Just yes, very, yep. just very straight ahead. Very like they mic'd it up, and it's it's just really prominent in the mix. There's like no effects, no. It's not buried. It's not no trickery on it. No um, mad dog effects on it or anything. It's just classic John Lord, which uh, which I, I think sounded great because then you inject some of that classic Deep Purple sound in there mm-hmm. as well in in kind of this newer, uh, different idea that they were trying to explore. Yep, absolutely. Um, I will give this one a four. I really dig it and I like I said I never would have uh, thought the first time I heard this <laughs> not that I would have conceived of this podcast but um, I would not have thought that I would rank this so highly but again the organ in that and just everything it's it's one of the ones that definitely had to grow on me but it grew on me in a in a major way um, or a, a diminished way um, but really 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 good stuff um, okay um, next track up is a track called Sometimes I feel like screaming. Now I remember again hearing this for the first time and thinking, oh, I was expecting something heavier from a song with that title. (laughs) And this might be the longest track on the album. Again, dynamics. Like, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but I don't understand why we don't have dynamics in more recent albums. Yeah, you're fuddy-duddy. Like, if you look at this wave file, you'll see a very, like, small wave, and then as it gets bigger, and and if this was recorded nowadays, this would be just as upfront as the the heavier stuff. Like the... Acoustic guitar has a kind of soldier of fortune feel to it. Mm. And I think it's that that organ playing underneath it also kind of had a uh, here I go again intro feel. Mm-hmm. But so well produced, so well mixed that that organ is there, but you almost don't notice it. This guitar part. And this is like kind of unexpected, and you've got this like cowbell and this like upbeat sort of thing, you know, it's just. I like the tone of the cowbell, too, because it wasn't so out front that yeah. you're like, it sounded goofy, like it didn't belong. <laughs> yeah, again, like, production, like that that could easily have been messed up. <laughs> but it was mixed in there really nice, so you knew it was there, but it wasn't out front. And I think this is one of the more iconic, like, little melody lines, like recurring melody lines of the Morse era. Yeah. And the song features the line, Backstreet Dolls and Side Door Johnnies. 
I'm gonna call you Side Door Johnny from now on. Ooh, Side Door Mees. <laughs> side Door Mees. But you're right, though. The, the melody line does come back in a few different forms, which is really nice about it. Yeah, like they, it recurs they, they, through the whole song. They tease it like the guitar solo here, and then they've got the like, piano parts. It's, it's just a well-arranged song. And it's really, you need to be a, pl- a player of a high caliber to have a recurring melody line that's like all <clears throat> bends like that. Like, again, it's it's not easy to hit every single one of those bends perfectly every time. Yeah. You know, it's easy to listen to some of Morse's super rapid guitar solos and say that that's hard, which it is. <laughs> you know? I could have a better chance of playing this melody line, but not well <laughs> because I couldn't hit those bends. <laughs> but the solos, forget it. He's, I don't know what he has on his gear that he just gives him such incredible sustain. Like when he holds a note, it's just... I mean, it's almost like the sustain you'd expect on an organ or like something that's got that continuous note running through it. Yeah. Hear those strings? I don't see any strings credited on this album. I don't know if they're synths. They don't sound like it, though. I mean, it could just, it could be John Lord playing them, too, through a let me get out my roadmap and check. I <laughs> 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 have to keep rotating it to read it. So. <laughs> I should have done this in advance. I love he's, he's getting crazy I love it they thank Hammond organs just for existing in the liner notes here <laughs> John and Ian would like to thank Joe Satriani for his great help. Look at that. Lots of good stuff in here. It's just really hard to read. <laughs> yeah, you might need a uh, telescope. I need a straightening device to straighten up those words. <laughs> I mean, I'm also almost hearing like a weird Randy Rhodes sort of style to him that I've never really picked up on before. Like, faintly. 
like just some of like melodically, because obviously style is very different. I just think of this sounds like the, the fade out to a song like, I don't know, uh, Revelation Mother Earth or something, you know, where it's just like this very melodic solo going on at this at the end of this epic song. But I mean, just listen to all the layers that are going on and they're not they're not doing anything complicated. He's just repeating that melody line over and over again. You can just keep listening to it like all day. Yeah. And it's just keeps getting more and more intense until the very end there. Just a little bit of a piano trickling off in the background. A little trickle. Tink, tink, tink. Well, that's sometimes I feel like screaming. John, do you feel like screaming? I mean, I could now, but I think I'd blow my vocal cords out. Yeah, please don't. It sounds like you have been screaming. <laughs> have you been screaming? I mean, thank God for this cough switch or through half of the episode, you'd be hearing me clearing my throat and <laughs> hacking and... <laughs> Whatever else. So you guys don't know what's going on behind the scenes here, but yeah. thank goodness you can't. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to the Patreon money years ago when we invested in those. I think one of the first things we invested in was called. It might have actually been before Patreon money. I might have just bought them. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, here, use this. <laughs> yeah, we, we both need them. You never you never know when a cough's going to come on or or you need to, like, do something loud on your desk or something. Just, like, bang <laughs> some <laughs> mugs around. This is the stuff you would be hearing. Or today, I just this. made a big. I just spilled water everywhere. <laughs> All or right. for me, you'd be hearing. <clears throat> yeah, that's just that's just a preview of what you would be hearing. Okay, so for yeah, sometimes so. I feel like screaming. They say in the yearbook on June first, they occur. They did this jam and they start to map out this new song. And by the end of the day, they put down the first recording of it, mostly so they could remember the arrangement. The working title of the song is Chicken. <laughs> the story is that there were two people at the same exact time. That we're asking a question. One per, at the exact same time, someone says, "What is the working title of the song?" And somebody else was asking, "What do you guys want for? Uh, here's your dinner options, or what do you want for dinner?" So, and someone said, "Chicken." So, they said, "Okay, this is the working title for the song." Then, and this is—I mean, it's very <laughs> believable. That's just kind of the stuff that happens very organically. So, for a while, they're probably calling it chicken. Then, eventually, they changed the title to "Missing You." Just so the title, they said basically the only reason they changed it is just so it wouldn't have the stupidest title ever. So they called it Missing You, which is a much more respectable, although very, you know, kind of generic, but, you know, they yeah. changed it to that. But it's better than Chicken, for sure. That would have been great on the back of the albums in, the, in, in this, I guess you could call it Chicken Scratch. It would say Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, they've got a song called Chicken? Um, so they. <laughs> Eventually changed the title in August, decided on the Sometimes I Feel Like Screaming as the title. Steve Moore says, some ideas come more easily than others. This one came easy. I was trying to play something where every note was an artificial harmonic. I had a lot of distortion on the amplifier, so by necessity, I was picking out a melody that was sparse. When John started playing, it all made sense. The next day, the demo jam they recorded, uh, they decided they were going to keep the demo. So this is like a demo that they recorded, and they say, well, we like this so much, we're just going to... Uh, overdub over this uh, demo. So that's how good that they are. Yeah, that's great. Um, Steve said, wouldn't it be neat if the first song we record for the album is the first take? Um, so I guess this was the first song they actually recorded when they started the recording process. Um, it was one of the, uh, Ian Gillen says it was one of those sentimental greeting cards 
There was one sitting right in front of me when all it said was missing you, but the words seemed to sum up the mood of the song, at least the first part of it. I couldn't get it out of my head. Roger and I had a memorable conversation a while back where we were talking about writing lyrics. We agreed that the only way to deliver what might be possibly seen as a corny line is to really mean it. Why should certain things be not acceptable just because they sound corny? And in Roger's journal, he writes, struggled with the theme for a while, then suddenly it came to us as exactly the same instant, one of those indefinable moments where we seem to be thinking with one mind. Something, sometimes I feel like screaming. We were both uplifted by that. And in the yearbook, it says, uh, the, uh, it's on October 3rd, it says, and I think this is Roger Glover saying it, third and final mix of sometimes I feel like screaming. The O.J. Simpson verdict is reached. No coincidence. So when I read that, I was like, we talked in, in our episode a year ago about how when we saw OJ, when we were with Roger and we didn't say anything, <laughs> we were like, should we tell Roger that OJ just walked by? And we're like, no, let's not spoil this moment, even though it was a, totally one of the most insane things that's ever happened to me in my life. Yeah. Let's not spoil this moment by bringing OJ into it. But here he is talking about this could have been a great conversation starter. So when we see him <laughs> next time. Roger, can you play an F diminished? And how do we feel about OJ? <laughs> Probably won't even remember saying that. Like, what? Did you feel like screaming when the verdict was reached? Okay, so anyway, sometimes I feel like screaming. John, what is your ranking? So, um, I'm glad that we've had a chance to talk about these a little bit, too, because it kind of letting the rankings roll around in my head a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, um, I think we'd give it a four. Um, I mean, it's, um, it's got so many great elements to it. Um, there are so many great dynamics. And I mean, I think that the, the best thing about it is just like that, that melody, yep. that melody line is just, it's, it's catchy. It comes back in many different ways. Um, uh, throughout the song and uh, it's it's just catchy as hell and it makes you feel like screaming um <laughs> no, it, it it makes you feel a certain way it's it's got this uh this kind of emotional almost like valid quality to it um yep. I, I don't know how to describe it but you just hear it and you're just you, you're like yeah i feel it i feel this mm-hmm um, and, and it makes a lot of sense that you said that, uh, they, um, it's basically a demo, Yeah. which I mean, sometimes you, you can't recapture the magic Yep. and, um, I, I sometimes it's like, Oh, it was a demo. And we put on the album you're like, eh, I would not, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but then there are other times where you're just like, yeah, that, that works. And, um, I remember, uh, I don't know if we did it, but I remember doing it a lot where I would just do like a, a demo or a first take of something and then try and be like, all right, here's the real one. And I couldn't recapture no. it. And so I'm like, eh, first take is, is going to be the one we got to go with. Because there's this kind of this stigma to that, like, ah, you can't do the demo because it's not supposed to be the one that because it's not perfect or whatever. But sometimes it, it's just the feel of it overrides um, what you can what you can do after. Um, and you, you know? listen to so. it so much. Hmm. You you might listen to it fifty times and then you're like oh night now I'm ready to record the real one and you're like you can never you, you can never recapture exactly that feeling and, and a lot of times they do it in the studio is to you know 
okay, now we're with the really good equipment and we got everything set the way the drums sound exactly like we want them to sound. Let's do it. Um, yeah. For quality reasons. For us, we were recording in our basement, so what the hell would we care? Oh, this is the real version <laughs> recorded on the same shitty equipment. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah, but if, they, but if, if, if this band does the demo... And they're in the studio. They have the, the yeah. great equipment, the great sound. It's it's a lot different than us with a four track back in the nineties, being like <laughs> egg cartons on the walls or whatever, like a shitty Memorex tape in there <laughs> recorded over five times. <laughs> Memorex. <laughs> um, but yeah, this song definitely grew on me. Like I, I hear, and some of these I haven't heard in a long time, or mm-hmm. I've only heard them in passing. So it's yeah. it's hearing this now. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking too about a lot of the, the, all the songs that we've heard so far is, is yeah, I want to go back and hear this again mm-hmm. um, to kind of get reacquainted with it. Like I know that these are songs that are going to regrow on me. Yeah. I will give this one a four as well. Really love this one. Love that outro. Love the feel of it. Love the solos. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think we've said everything that needs to be said about um, sometimes I feel like screaming. I do not feel like screaming. I feel like screaming with joy when I hear that song. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, next track up is uh, called Cascades. I'm not your lover. Nobody's saying in the background. I expect Prince to be like, dearly beloved. <laughs> that organ speaking of purple there's a purple connection there Not the direction you're thinking it's going to go with the the mellow intro. Not at all. Listen to that organ, though, that distorted organ. Sounds great. I love how, like, organ forward John Lord is in this album. that maybe not so much the um verse a little bit the verse but the chorus sounds like the most mark two-ish thing that we've heard so far in my opinion just really catchy and really heavy the organ just makes it so heavy That sounds a lot like something which says, I'm not your lover now. Listen to this. I don't know what it sounds like. It's like an updated 
version of Burn almost all of a sudden. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, those are the kinds of things that you're dying for as a Deep Purple fan, and they, they just throw it in there. They're like, they're going to freaking eat this up. Watch this. They're <laughs> you know? just going to throw this in there just for fun, and it's like, and they're right. It's great. sound like almost like pomp and circumstance for a minute there. Like a rainbow feel. this like pre-chorus that they keep like bringing back in again it's like i don't it doesn't seem like it's the same as the remainder of the chorus but great ending here too <laughs> you gotta love a tight <laughs> ending like that it's great yeah. like pace seems to be back in full form like where we've commented on like the last few albums it seems like he's been playing more like straight and he's throwing yeah. in these fills and everything now. Like he's get, like that ending almost sounded like burn as well. Just like his snare work. And I mean, you still had that pacey feel on all those, all those previous albums. But to me, it just never felt like he was kind of like Lord. It felt like he was intentionally underplaying, um, which is sometimes appropriate. But usually when I'm looking at deep purple, I, I don't, I don't want to see overplaying, but I want to, I want to hear what, the, what they've got. And it feels like you're, right. you're getting a hundred percent on that, on this one. Um, so this one in, uh, so it was recorded in February. I'm sorry, written in February, recorded in June. And in a review on the highway star, um, Trond J. Strom, who we've talked to, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. I've never actually said it out loud. I just realized, um, uh, but, uh, he, He's been in communication with us before. Really great guy, super knowledgeable and very uh, generous with his information and sharing knowledge and all that sort of stuff, as all the great fans that we interact with. Um, he wrote, uh, right when this album came out, it says, Cascades, I'm Not Your Lover, is the typical Deep Purple fast-paced rocker on this album, even containing organ, guitar, twin solo, a la Gypsy's Kiss slash Dead or Alive. The lyrics make me wonder if it's the sequel to Smooth Dancer. It's if it is, it's surely not hateful, just resigned. And then he 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 responds back that Roger Glover had gotten back to him that it's he said nothing is about Richie Blackmore. Not that it didn't cross cross our minds that that is precisely what people would think. So 
He said it's not about Richie. Uh, John Lord writes, something we're calling Cascades, which has a nice bit of arpeggiated tomfoolery between Steve and me, sort of like a highway star tempo. I like to call it arpeggiated tomfoolery. That's tomfoolery. I'd hate to see what like an organized uh, writing uh, would be because it's pretty freaking amazing. Some arpeggiated hijinks. (laughs) Hijinks. Steve Moore says, years ago I had a reel-to-reel tape player and I didn't know which Deep Purple album I was listening to, but they were the first band I ever heard do tunes that had organ and guitar playing triplets together and playing them faster than any other rock band at the time. To me, it's a characteristic of the band, and I wanted to continue that tradition without copying the past. It's a little hard to play, but a neat way to push the song along. And then he also says, I love some of the lyrics, especially the line, you really must be going now. My God, is it that time? Is that the time? So that's, uh, I love that. I love the, that that's how he was approaching this song and possibly is playing throughout the album is, Honoring the past without copying it. Yeah, and that's it's great because like he came into this band with that attitude and always had it. Even years later, when when he you know sent out his note, he was talking about the riff for "Smoke on the Water" and how he, like after all these years, he he still hasn't been able to master exactly how Richie plays it, and he's hoping that Simon could you know and all this this cool stuff where it's it's like it's again talking about that ego. He's not like, well, this is my band and we're doing things my way, and then mm. just having it you know sound like you know just he wrote for the band as well as playing for the band and, and what that right. band was requiring of him, which is really cool. And it sounded like he was having fun with it too. In some of those earlier quotes, like, Oh, I'm going to do the, I'm getting into this heavy thing. Cause you know, he, maybe he wasn't doing a super heavy riff with Dixie dregs, but he could bring it out for deep purple. And that's, what's really cool. Um, all right. Ca- Ca- Cascades. I'm not your lover. What do you think about this one? Um, I, I think this one's going to be another, uh, this one's going to be another four. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the, um, I'm kind of su- like surprised, happily surprised that uh, I'm enjoying this as much as I am. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it started off really tricking you, that kind yeah. of soft beginning, and then just kicks into this really high energy uh, rocker, which I like. And um, like I said, that when he sings, I'm not your lover now, I don't know what it reminds me of, but it's uh, it's it's a good melody. Yep. Um, and I mean, I love how how keyboard forward, how Hammond forward, uh, like John Lord is in the in the mix. I, you know, I like it when the one of the things that we haven't gotten a lot, I guess, in the recent years is that we get in the past. That there are some songs where the guitar is the prominent instrument, obviously, that does the riff, it does the melody and everything. But I mean, there were some songs where the keyboard was the main riff or the main part of the song it was up front in the mix and i'm just glad that that was one of the things that they got back to because that's one of the things that i always loved about deep purple was is just like damn there's this this band that has like a heavy organ player that's cool and that's another great way um as we said of calling back to the past without it sounding like you're repeating yourself or, or being disingenuous or whatever however you want to think of it um, yep. It's just doing what they do best. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's um, I think this is a great track. I will also give it a four. Love this one. Love that little arpeggiated tomfoolery they do, which I have a feeling is going to that expression is going to be coming back in future episodes. But really, yeah, really, 
really cool. The, when I, so when I first got this, all I could think of when I saw Cascades, I'm Not Your Lover was, uh, you know that song? Damn, I wish I was your lover. <laughs> By, uh, who, I don't, who was it even that even did that? You know, you know what song I'm talking about? No. You don't know the song? <laughs> Sophie well, B. Hawkins. Ver- oh, well, your version, maybe. I wish I was your lover. You don't remember that one? Uh-huh. It was like a hit in the early 90s. So I maybe just, I, maybe if I heard that version of it instead of the Nate version, I would. my version is is exactly perfect. It's exactly okay. Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> no. I guess I'm not familiar with it at the moment. I'm no Sophie ATM. B. I'm no Sophie B. Hawkins, um, mm. but it's uh, not many are. It's just like a you know, it was like a pop hit in the in the early '90s. Damn, I wish I was your lover. It's a great one. Okay. So the final track we'll get into today, and look, at, I mean, will you look at the time? This is why we do these in two parts folks in the CD era, and especially with big albums like this, because here we are, we're going to have a two-hour episode on just the first half of this album. But the um, the next, the last track we're going to do on this episode is a track entitled The Aviator. So we've already gotten, I feel like, more acoustic guitar than on any previous Deep Purple album. like it's trying to be like a traditional Irish song or something. Funny you should mention that. So again, here's like a big stylistic departure for Deep Purple. Yeah. song strikes me as a song that like, even people that don't like anything by Deep Purple would appreciate this style because it would be more, you know, the music that they're yeah. into, you know? Great vocals from Dylan. And as we know, Steve Morse is an aviator. So I was always kind of wondered if it was about. I mean, listening, looking at the lyrics doesn't look like it, but. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was like, oh, he's singing about Steve, and then you read the lyrics, like, ah, not, not really. At least I hope not, because it's about bombs and bullets and stuff, and or maybe it's more about like flying being your refuge from all that. 
And as far as I know, this is the only Deep Purple uh, song that mentions faxes. <laughs> Speaking of being of, of its time. like a lot of Ian Gillen lyrics it's kind of hard to decipher exactly what he's talking about just what I kind of like about them you can make I like your the own interpretation of the vocals though what's that I like the layering of the vocals yeah it sounds great Very cool, like super quiet, very, um, you can hear the percussive elements of the organ, but it's, it's not, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very mellow. And then, like Steve Morris has somehow managed to make his guitar sound like bagpipes. something percussive in here that's making me think somebody's opening the door upstairs <laughs> keep looking over I think it's like stomping like and it's like stomping or clapping in the background that you can kind of hear yeah but it's very faint yeah again not too much not overtaking it So if you if you're thinking about this album in two halves, that is the you know close to one half of the album, which is kind of you know, mellow and very different different approach. Um, so uh, it was recorded June 26th, uh, being called by its working title of The Highland. Um, Steve Moore says, I didn't exactly make it up on the spur of the moment. It was a tune I'd have hanging around for a few years. You know, those movies were each. Uh, character had its own theme tune like Peter and the Wolf well this was the tune that I used to play when my son Kevin was crawling around on the floor so he'd play that on the guitar it's very very heartwarming he'd laugh and respond to it so it became his theme just played it one day in the studio and everyone liked it I had no idea what the band wanted of me when it came to writing and I told them to let me know if it didn't sound like any of my ideas uh, or if uh, if they weren't right for the band. But I was amazed to see that they really wanted to be different and they just kept encouraging me. Ian Pace said, I love that. I loved it from the first time that I heard it, even though at first I didn't think it was anything we could use. It didn't sound like Deep Purple to me. Now we've done it, however, I'm really happy with it. It's just got a mind and a groove of its own and regardless of whether anybody likes it or not, uh, it's a great four or five minutes of music with a wonderful build at the end. Um... On July 11th, I guess Steve Morris had done some acoustic parts at his home studio, and they took those and they somehow 
synced them up to the master tapes that they had done mm-hmm. and um, layered them on that way, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then Roger Glover and Ian Pace had a drum loop idea that they worked out to put over the top of the track. Um, so I, that might be what we're hearing at the end, which is that like kind of clumping or clapping sort of sound that you hear. So they might have uh, just uh, put that in at the end of the song. So um, that is The Aviator. What do you think, John? So I, w- I was going to think at first, at first I didn't like it because I I don't love songs that kind of like do that, hey, we're going to put in this traditional, you know, insert culture music here. So mm-hmm. it sounded like an, like, uh, like a little Irish ditty or something like that with the, with the drum major at like. The, mm-hmm. the, the yeah, drum the, things the, like the, the like the rolling snare, yeah the and snare. i'm just like when yeah. yeah when i hear shit like that i just roll my eyes and i'm like all right you're trying too hard <laughs> um plus uh, you know what i mean i think that like the i feel like the dropkick murphys have ruined that for everybody but um <laughs> yes um well, that, but that, anyways that might be true but i mean despite that there, there were a couple of i think like um so far um intros on this album that are misleading to mm-hmm. what the rest of the song is going to be. Yep. Um, in, in a good way. Yeah. You're not so, making it sound um, like they're, uh, they're not, li- they're lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> you lied. No, but it's I mean, that, once, scene once in, uh, <laughs> that scene in throw mama from the train, you lied to me and he had some with the frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's an old, that's he's an like, old reference. He's like, this is my cousin. So-and-so he's like, you don't have a cousin. He's like, you lied to me. <laughs> it's a classic (laughs) um but uh no it was um i thought it was very um it was very pleasant sounding like it 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 settled into like a good uh a nice melody um in the song which it could have been it could have stayed that whole kind of um you know drum roll thing or whatever it was um going under it which um marching band type thing which i really don't like yeah Um, but i'm glad so i'm glad they didn't do it (laughs) for a long time um but um, I, I like Gillen's, uh, like I mentioned, the the vocal layering, um, the layers of vocals on this song. I yep. mean, he sounded really good on this album. Yeah, sounds um, great. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I would think this song is a um, is a 3.5. Um, All right. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, I, I, I will kind of go along. You're, you're funny. You're really mirroring a lot of the same thoughts that I had about it, which is um, to me, like the, at first and for a while listening to it, it's like a little jingly jangly for me. Like I, I really yeah. love what they did and I appreciate what they did. It's not it's just not necessarily my 100 percent style. I mean, so I guess I'm kind of in the same boat as Ian Pace were. Um, but I, I don't. I, I don't like the idea like, well, it doesn't sound like Deep Purple. Yeah, if you're going to play somebody, if you want to get somebody into Deep Purple, you're not going to be like, you know what song you need to hear? The Aviator. If you like that, you'll like everything else. Because chances are if you like that, you won't like anything else by Deep Purple. That's um, true. But um, I think over over time, it's going to be, I'll give it a 3.5 as well. Um I, I I I like it and I appreciate it. It's uh, yeah. It's just it's in a style that's not like a go to style for me, and it's it's definitely yeah. I've warmed up to it over the years. Like if this was a first listen, I probably would have gotten a, a, a lower. But you know, I'm, it's such a you know I like that I like that it adds diversity and, and interest to this album um, instead of again you we were six songs in and we've got six 
you know, very different songs all over the place. You've got some like proggy elements. You've got some heavy metal elements. You've got this. I don't even know what style of music to call this. Some acoustic guitar coming in here and there. You uh, so it's it's really um, it's really a uh, cool that it's on the album, and I, I really appreciate what they did with this one. So and uh, there you have it. We're half of the album in, probably a little longer episode than normal. Maybe next week will be a little shorter. I don't know after if we get through all the um, all the stuff that uh, that's coming up next. I'm trying to ignore the fact <laughs> that I have a track playing accidentally in the background. <laughs> what? I have a track playing accidentally in the background because we, we, we went a little longer than I thought and I'd pushed it off. It's like the ending to the show. So I'm trying to listen to myself talk and talk at the same time. So um, <laughs> if I if I was playing it really cool, I just blew it by telling you that uh, but it's over now so I can concentrate again. <laughs> very, very hard to talk when you hear your own voice talking about something else behind you. Um, OK, so that's it. First half in the bag. Um, Boom. And yeah, we'll be back next week, but not before we do something really important, which is to thank our patrons once again. We we thank at the top of the show, in the middle of the show, and here we are um, at the end of the show. It is time to thank our foundation level patrons. If I can pull them up here. Boop, boop. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. Coming in at the three-pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Raf Calf, Spike the Rock Cat, and Spike's Mom. And at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fjellbu. <laughs> Oops, Ivan Fjellbu. <laughs> oh my goodness, too many clips now. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies. And Mike Catan. Coming in at the $1.71 I Want My Own Tier Tier, Rich Ingve Shaler. At the $1 made up name tier, we have the aviator of dead people, <laughs> Leaky Mausoleum. <laughs> Steven Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel. <laughs> Blackmore tights and John Maselli. I sold the most subscriptions to Popular Mechanics. I had a great pitch. I just say, hey, my name is Tony Maselli. Would you like to buy a magazine for me and send me to camp? Or would you rather I spend the summer on the streets with my buddies near your car? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I love it when he calls back to being like this this tough this, guy this from Brooklyn. Str- this street mug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Oh. One of these days I'm gonna nail all of those <laughs> all those clips with no problem. I think it's more fun that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna I I promise I will I my goal is to get nail them all. And the fact that I don't is not intentional for laughs, although it's it's good fun. 
Mm. Oh, my goodness. All right. So, yeah, we got um, links in the show notes. Um, uh, if you've got anything to add, let us know what your thoughts are on this album. And before we get into part two, uh, a big help, a big thanks to everyone that's uh, helped support the show, for uh, Merlin for sending in the yearbook, for Jeff Bryce for sending in some stuff, and we'll probably get into more of that stuff later. We'll have links to all the different resources and things we used to, to cover this album. So, all right. Until next week, John. See you later. I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> You're like, I see you later. Uh, okay. Yes, I see you later. I see you later. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Later, my friend. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. No, no. What I'm hoping for that somebody builds next is a retirement machine. So we could all <laughs> you, did, you just press the button and you're retired. <laughs> you're fucking retired. Oh my god. Oh, very good. Now I'll uh, have, I'll have some Ricola. <laughs> and maybe that'll maybe that'll help this scratchy voice by tonight I'll be in better form. Yeah, let's hope so. Who's this? This is cousin Patty. He's gonna be staying with us for a while. Isn't that nice? You don't have a cousin Patty. You lied to me! <laughs> 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 <laughs>